Welcome to episode four of the Human Lighthouse Experience podcast. In our last episode of the podcast, we did a quick introduction to ACEs and other childhood trauma. This week, we'll be digging a little deeper into the impact these events can have on our students, academically, socially, emotionally, and physically. We'll also be talking about one possible option to help mitigate these effects. Dr. Sood's Resilient Option Program focuses on gratitude, compassion, acceptance, meaning, forgiveness, and other positive character traits to help individuals become happier, healthier, and more productive. We'll also be revisiting the, the inspirational message that you, Dr. Gibbs, gave to the students graduating from Cambridge Isanti High School last week. We're glad to have everyone join us today. Yeah, welcome. It's good to be back. And uh, after a, a week off due to a, a little selfishness on my part, but I had a graduation to conduct here uh, at Cambridge Isanti High School, and it was a an amazing experience to see our young people who have gone through uh, so much this third trimester uh, walk across the stage, celebrate with their families, be celebrated by the communities, um, and also go go on and just do incredible things. And as we get into uh, today's episode, we're talking about the Resilient Options Program with Dr. Sood, and and I'll share a little bit about uh, about. Uh, one of my favorite authors by the name of uh, Mr. John Gordon and, and some of the things that he has shared and, and what I've tried to uh, bring forward to our staff and our students in our community. Uh, but, but Jim, let's start off a little bit as we, last week we talked about ACEs and let's just do that 3000 foot view real quick before we get into Dr. Sood's information about um, ACEs and why is it important to um, not only have an, a, a knowledge of ACEs, but but how does that lead us into today's topic? And that's that Resilient Options Living Program. Right. So, you know, in reality, we are a product of every experience that we have, both positive and negative. Um, ACEs are those, um, those problematic events that can happen to children from before birth through 18 years of life that impact them academically, socially, emotionally, and physically. Um, that's everything. I mean, we are a product of both the good and the bad. So the opposite side is the resilience piece. What is it that, that we can do to offset those potentially negative effects? Um, it, when someone studies ACEs, it can look very doom and gloom. It looks like, you know, when you read a, a score of eight or higher, it can take 20 years off your life. You are more likely to suffer from the effects of uh, cancer, to have a heart attack, to have mental health issues, to... Uh, attempt suicide, to have um, family issues, relationship issues, to be incarcerated. But there is also the opposite side of that, the resilience building, the, the, the power of just one positive, stable relationship with unconditional love, non-judgmental support um, to turn you into the human being that you really would like to be. Yeah. So these two programs, when, we, when you look at, I want to say programs, because in education, we think that programs are going to solve problems. And, uh, and the one thing that Jim, I know that you're, you and I would view similar in our philosophies, it's kind of grounded us. And what I, my analogy or my, what I call it is, is my true north of my philosophy. Where do I ground myself? Where do I root myself? When I get a little bit off kilter, how do I, how do I re reestablish my true north? And that's definitely an aces. It's definitely, and these are, these are complementary types, type structures, not programs, but structures on how one views education. It's not a program to change. It's a, it changes your philosophy. So everything that you do, everything that you are, everything that you give and serve with is rooted 
in these two understandings of, of we want help, happier, we want stronger, we want kinder people because that benefits our culture, that benefits our community, and it ultimately benefits our overall environment. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk about my, my environment analogy or my environment metaphor here in a little bit with, uh, with, the, with, the, with my address to our student body or our seniors for sure. But give us, take us that next step, all right? We went the 3,000 foot view with the average childhood experiences. I'm understanding now, if I'm a listener, of what the adverse childhood experiences, what we, we will refer to as ACEs, um, and what most refer to as ACEs. Um, but how does that lead in as a, as a very, very similar deal with the resilient options, and how can that ground us in our philosophy on how we serve? Greg, you said something interesting, um, kind of about different systems working together. Um, just before recording now, I, I had a, a two-hour uh, meeting on Zoom with educators from across the state about restorative practices and restorative justice. And that works in very well with this as well. The idea that we want people to be happy, healthy, responsible students and adults, um, that we don't want one set of circumstances to lead them in a direction that they really don't want to be going, that we don't want them um, to not achieve their full potential. So with the, the struggles that all of us have, every one of us has struggles. Um, it might be ACEs, it might be other trauma, it might be a, a difficult life situation. Everyone right now is going through a very, very difficult spring, um, socially, uh, across the country right now, and along with COVID-19. All of us are dealing with struggle, but what kind of personal growth can we experience from that to be the best version of ourselves possible? That's where all of this comes together. Dr. Sood's Resilient Option Program is just one option for that. He focuses on positive character traits, gratitude, compassion, acceptance, meaning, forgiveness, and things like celebration and reflection and the power of positive relationships in our lives to support us and help us move collectively as a group, like you were saying, toward a, a better outcome. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is, is in our world right now, there is a lot of hurt. There's a lot of hurt. And we have to, uh, oftentimes we rush to explain away the hurt. We want to have a, an answer for everything. And I think that's sometimes a fault of ours. Um, and, and it's been a fault of mine for sure in education is, okay, here's, here's, a, here's a challenge. I don't, I don't call it problem anymore. Here's a challenge. Here's an obstacle. Give me a program that I can address this with. And as, as long as I've served in this profession, and Jim, I think you, you, you've been a, a great model to educators, it's not a program that changes its people. Stuartville Reach doesn't impact kids. The program itself doesn't impact kids. Jim Perry impacts kids. Your staff at Stuartville High School and Stuartville Middle School impact kids. Uh, oftentimes we go to these different programs, whether it be resilient options, whether it be Stuartville Reach, whether it be ACEs, whether it be PBIS, they're all wonderful, incredible things. But without the right people, it means nothing. We can't fix situations or challenges through programs. The programs should be rooting us in how we conduct ourselves 
not in a step one, do this, step two, do this. It roots us in who we are as people. And then we serve with those traits and hopefully lead through that capacity. We, we treat students sometimes and each other, spouses, children, um, other community members. We sometimes treat them as if we're trying to fix a car. You have a car that's not running quite right. You have no idea why it's not running correctly, or maybe it doesn't even start at all. You take it to the auto shop and they do a diagnostic on it to figure out exactly what it is. Well, if the car doesn't start, you know it's not because there's a flat tire. Um, And you start problem solving. What is it that's wrong? So what can we fix? In one piece at a time, we take care of fixing those pieces. And in the end, we hope that that car is going to run and that it's going to run for a long time. The problem is students and people aren't cars. Um, This is very, very long term. The meeting I just got out of, one major concern was people are looking for a quick fix. So if our school or as a teacher, I become trauma-informed, that's going to solve every problem that I've got with students who are living a difficult life right now. That's not reality. If we have students that aren't holding themselves accountable and have behavior issues and we implement one restorative practice, that's going to fix all of the behavior issues in our school. It's not. It is a a way of thinking. It's a way of living. It's a way of relating. And that's not lesson one, two, three, and then assess. It's not diagnosing that car that's not starting and running correctly. It's a way of very, very long-term being a fellow human being and helping that other person grow. I think one thing that you just brought up is, is a conversation that I've had in the past and, and um, it's a difference. It's, it's how we view data. You know, I think sometimes in education, we love data. We love numbers. We love to, to solve. We love to solve. And uh, if you look at, if you look at people who come in who are trauma informed and that's, or, or trauma, have trauma in their life and they say, give me data of what you're doing is working. And, and then, and then if we're forming judgments based upon that data, whether it's good or whether it's not effective, Jim, talk to me a little bit about your perspective on that, where show me what you're doing is working, right? Where, how can you do that? Where I'm going to just, I'm going to, I'm going to get up and I'm going to get up and preach here for a second here, but this is what drives me, drives me batty is, is, these students come to us with 16 years, at least at our high school level, they come to you with 15 years of life experiences. And if, if anyone ever says these words, show me data on what you're doing is working and how you've solved or fixed a situation, I have yet to see anything ever, and I don't care what program it is, that fixes someone who has 15 years of life experiences, we get them for six and a half hours a day and we love on those students and we serve them with everything we are. But the reality of the reality of the situation is two thirds of their day, they're not with us. Yep. They're, they're not, they're not with us. You know, we're, or I'm sorry, even, even more, a quarter of their day. If they're, if they're an athlete, we're, we probably see them two thirds of their day, or if they're in extracurriculars, we see them two, two thirds of their day. But when they leave us and go into a different environment, how dare we think that we can, quote unquote, fix someone? All we can do is love them and care about them and, and give them tools that they can use down the road or as soon as possible and, and be models of that. But yep. I, I've said a lot there, but I'll just pick that apart a little well, bit, Jim, if you it, would. You know, in the defense of teachers in, in current education, um, our system is built on 
a very, very old way of teaching. Um, our buildings are designed for an old way of teaching. It's deliver and learn, deliver and learn and assess. Um, and it's been that way for so long that we sometimes forget that we are working with other human beings. Um, we get so wrapped up in our content delivery sometimes. And as teachers, we're busy. And we know that we're not only delivering content and assessing our students, but we're also being assessed. We're being judged, not only by our administrators, but by the state, by the community. Um, and all of that comes together where we sometimes forget um, that every student has their own story to tell. Um, you and I have had this discussion before about two different kinds of data, quantitative and qualitative. Quantitative meaning test scores, uh, attendance, um, that stuff that I can look at today or I can try to look for trends. Um, and then the qualitative piece about really what is the quality of that kid's life right now compared to maybe the way it was a year ago. Um, you hit it perfectly. If that child has got 15 years of an experience, we can't expect in uh, one semester or a school year for that to be changed. We might see some hope that change might happen at that point. Um, but it's also very likely we might not see any because that that nut might be a really tough one to crack. Um, I'll take you back to July or uh, to January 1st. Did you set uh, a New Year's resolution? I some did of not. Us, yeah, some people do. A lot of people do. And I gave up on that forever ago, yeah. knowing that if I set a New Year's resolution and it has to do with eating healthier or more exercise or a a new way of doing something that I think I'm going to make myself better. It's not going to change that quickly. Yeah. Most people that set those changes are done by January 15th yeah. because they, they automatically fall back into their old patterns. That's a difficult thing about trauma informed and, and working with kids that, that have had 12 or 14 or 16 years of experience that may be completely different than ours. First of all, we may not understand that. And, and that might make us nervous, but there's, there's always the potential that when that student leaves our classroom and we think that we've made headway, that they go into another environment. It could be home. It could be with friends. It could be wherever they're living. It could be work, it, it, whatever life, their life might reinforce a different approach to life than what we are trying to teach. Uh, and it's very easy to fall back into the norm. We all do it. I think the, you know, when we look at things that are concrete sequential that quantitative data works really effectively for, mm -hmm. it's, some, it's some of the content, some of the content we can track. So, so what quantitative data doesn't work great for is life experiences, right? That's where qualitative data really comes into play. Quantitative data, do I know my multiplication facts? If not, then what do I need to do to, 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 to memorize those? So the quantitative data, when you're looking from the educational perspective, makes sense in certain places. But that's why there's multiple different forms of data. And that's where I think people need to understand when and where and what's the appropriate time to utilize those forms of data and make those informed decisions and, and use that as a guideline for us. But it's not all one or all the other. So I think that's where Yep. When you look at, again at our true north, it's understanding when to use those different data points and how to use them in the right way. It, the, the additional piece to that is with trauma-informed, there is a lot of faith 
in that what you're doing, that those practices are eventually going to stick and are eventually going to make an impact with that young adult 10 years down the road. Uh, faith is impossible to measure in an educational setting. Um, I think that's where some people really get hung up is I can't see it right now. I don't see the impact right now. I, I, I'm not seeing a trend that in nine weeks, things are going to be different. Um, that, that faith piece, anyone that has gone into trauma-informed education and truly believes in it really does understand not only the, the resilience piece, um, and that has to be developed over time, but then there's that faith that what you're doing is the right thing. And that creating that sense of hope, not only for yourself as an educator, but as a program, but for those individual students, giving them the hope that life can be better. It can be different. It really can be what they choose it to be. None of those things are really measurable um, yeah. in our traditional sense. Well, and I also think that what is education, you know, when you, when you look at education at its core, is education for a student before, prior to the age of 18? And then we just say, oh, now you're on your own. Yep. Or do we view education as a lifelong investment? And if we view education as a lifelong investment, which I think anyone would say they do, but then we have to back up and say, what are the practices that you believe that you show that invest in that philosophy? And if you are truly saying, no, education is a lifelong investment, then show me. If education is about a test score, then that's okay. Then I'm not disagreeing with your philosophy because right. you have, there are things, philosophies can be, can, is at the, the root of the individual and that's fine. But if most people say it's an investment in a lifelong learning, show me, show me. Right. And that's where you talk about faith is, and we talk about trust. Are these practices something that'll benefit a kid before the age of 18? Maybe not, maybe not. But we've talked before, and we've talked before, and we'll talk in the future. Are these practices something that'll make a, a great husband, a great wife, a great parent, a great employer, a great employee, a great community member? Absolutely. Absolutely. But do we see it, and can we put a badge on it or a number that says, "Here it is"? Before the age of eighteen, that's where it's tricky as educators. Is our data points come before the age of eighteen? And, and, we're trying to put, and we're trying to put everyone in the same box. And we have to realize every kid has a story. All of us have our story. Everyone is different. We all have our own individual story. We all have our own individual path. And it might look very similar, but two people that go into the, uh, the same profession may have completely different experiences to get them there and different strengths and um just thinking ahead to the impact that those individuals can have on all of the other human beings around them. Um, this is more than just fitting every kid, every student into one box. It's about meeting the, the needs of every single kid, despite the struggles that they might have, despite family history, despite um, even the strengths that they have. How yeah. can we help that individual kid become their very best possible, knowing that in the end, our goal is for them to be able to pass it on to someone else, right? I think that's a perfect lead. And if you don't mind me jumping in and sharing a little bit about yep. uh, my, my graduation speech. And, and that's, that's something I had talked to about our students. In a, and I read a book called The Coffee Bean by John Gordon, who has quickly become one of my favorite authors. 
uh, just a phenomenal, phenomenal author. And, and he tells his stories almost, uh, he, he tells it in story form. And, and that's what I appreciate is, is it's, it's just not a, a, a textbook that you would read. It's something that you can truly grow into. And he gives, he gives the, uh, the story of, of there's three things that happen when your environment is boiling water. There's three different objects that can be placed in boiling water and, and they all change. They all do something to the environment. And so the environment, first and foremost, we have to understand is boiling water. One of those is an egg. When you place an egg into boiling water, Jim, what happens? Changes. It changes. It absolutely changes. The environment of boiling water changes the physical and the structural makeup of the egg. It becomes a hard-boiled egg. Prior to going into the water, you could crack it. You'd have yolk. You'd have the whole the whites, and it would run. But you put it into boiling water, the environment of boiling water, and it changes. And the second, the second uh, object that, that John Gordon teaches about is the carrot. And before the, before the carrot is put into boiling water, the carrot cracks, the carrot snaps, the carrot is hard, the carrot structure is different. It goes, it goes into boiling water and it becomes soft. And, and it's a soft, again, it physically and structurally changes. So, and, and, and you look at that, those two objects, as one would relate to character and how they are impacted by their environment in the world, there's a lot of people that become hardened by an environment, like the egg would, and they become maybe bitter, maybe they become angry. They just, they're, they're, hard, they're hardened people. And we see that through ACEs. We through that, see that through the resilient options program and, and, and how do we serve those people. And the same with the egg. Maybe, maybe you just become soft and you no longer have an opinion about anything and you don't care. It's just, I just, I'm, I'm malleable. I, I just, I don't care. I just, I'm soft now. I just, I, I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to become soft. And the last, the last uh, object that John Gordon talks about going into the environment of boiling water is a coffee bean. And what happens when that coffee bean goes into boiling water is the coffee bean impacts its environment. The coffee bean, when placed in boiling water, the, the environment changes. The environment becomes coffee. And so he, he challenges the reader, and I challenged our students to become coffee beans. Never let your environment dictate who and what you are. I'll always go out and change the environment and be that coffee bean type person through the lessons that you've learned. And oftentimes, nine times out of 10, that's not academic. That's character. Right. Yep. So that was, uh, that was the challenge that I gave to our, to, our, to our seniors, to their families, to our community is, is I believe that they were a coffee bean type class here at Cambridge Isani High School because they absolutely changed the environment for the better. We had a very, very great senior class of students. Um, but my challenge is when you go your separate way, be a coffee bean person. It's easy to be a coffee bean when you're around positive people. But when your environment changes, how do you impact the environment rather than letting the, impact, the, the environment impact you? So when your environment is not ideal, it's not something that you were looking for, um, you can complain about it and nothing changes. You can... Uh, spend the rest of your life complaining about it. And far too many adults do spend their entire lives complaining about their environment and the, the raw deal that they were dealt. Everyone, again, has a story. Everyone does. But if we choose to focus on, again, we go back to Dr. Sood's Resilient Option Program. If you choose to focus on gratitude, being grateful for the things that you have, you get better at that, even if they're small things. Uh, if you focus on 
compassion for other fellow human beings, you're able to give back to our society. If you uh, practice acceptance, some of those things you can't change. So maybe you need to spend your time focusing on the things that you can, and that really is you. Um, and then it comes down to, and you kind of hit on it, one way that we can impact others is by finding strength, meaning, and purpose, no matter what our story is. The environment might not be ideal. We might be put in a situation that we're really not happy about. And again, we can complain or we can find strength, meaning, and purpose, and we can impact that environment because we have found strength, meaning, and purpose. Think about a friend group. Uh, or any classroom, and, and we all fall into it where we doom and gloom and we complain or we grumble about stuff. But think about an entire group of people that are doom and gloom and they're complaining, but then you, you have one person in that group that says, but you know, this is something that I saw today and I was really actually amazed by that. I found awe in that. I found wonder in that. And what does it tend to do to that group? One at a time, they start to switch over. And by the end of that conversation, life isn't quite so bad. I don't, that's our role as a human being. It's to, to help other people be happy, healthy, productive, loving, caring, not only members of society, but um, family and supportive. And there's that whole love piece as well. We all have that power, um, but it takes practice. Absolutely does. So you can have a program, but without lots and lots of practice, um, it's ineffective. You have right. to practice. You can't say this is one and done. Um, Trauma-informed is not one and done. Resilient option program is not one and done. It is a long, lengthy practice um, in order to get people to the point where they not only have taken on themselves, but that they can impact their environment like the coffee does. Yeah, I think that's when you go back to the name of this podcast, The Human Lighthouse Experience, um, that doesn't reflect something that we believe that we are, but we believe that we believe that that's, that's, that's what we're called to do that's what every person is called to be is kind of be a lighthouse and to, and to, and to be a light to others, whether, whether you use the analogy of a lighthouse or they use the analogy as John Gordon did as a coffee bean, you are there to serve the, the lighthouse, the lighthouse itself. If you think about this, Jim, it serves no purpose without a light mm -hmm. and it serves no purpose if they're not redirecting ships. Yep. So the lighthouse in of itself is useless if it's not serving. Correct. And the coffee bean itself is useless without the right, without being in the environment to change, to change the environment. The coffee bean itself doesn't exist just as a bean. When it's placed in the environment, it changes. It serves, it gives of itself and it changes the environment. The same thing as a lighthouse itself. It looks really pretty in a picture, but they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have invited, invented a lighthouse just to be itself. Right. They invented it with the purpose of, of serving and giving to assist others. Yep. And so and, everything that you do in our philosophies reflect that fully. And as human beings, um, one of our needs is we want to be accepted and we want to be looked to. And um, who are the people that we are attracted to the most? The people that inspire us, the people that make us not only feel about good about ourselves and our place in the world, but they inspire us to be our very best. Um, and when we kind of toyed with the idea of the name for the podcast, um, Lighthouse fits in with that perfectly. Um, and I know that was our intent to get as many people on as we possibly can that 
serve as a lighthouse to other people. Hey, you know what? Here's my experience. Um, this is what I've learned from my experience and from my story. Um, take what you want from it because it might be able to help you as well. And there are a lot of people that can do that. You don't need resources to be that. I think a lot of people in this world today go, well, I don't have fill in the blank. I can't give. You can always give of yourself. You can always give of your character. Um, The lighthouse produces light, but it doesn't doesn't produce finances. It doesn't produce, it doesn't go out there and steer the ship for the captain. All it does is, is it's light. Yep. That's all it does. So that's, that's, that's exactly right. Is all we can do is be ourselves. All we can do is, 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 is give of ourselves, not expecting in return. I don't think, I don't think the lighthouse, once the captain brings his ship into Harbor, the lighthouse doesn't go, okay, hey, 20 bucks. I got you in. Yeah. I don't, I'm not overly knowledgeable about how the finances of a lighthouse situation works, but I'm pretty sure that, if you don't crash, you owe the lighthouse a bill. They, yeah. they, they, would, send you, they would send you a bill. I don't, I don't think that's, that's, that's accurate. The lighthouse exists to direct, to serve. Um, the coffee bean, same thing. The coffee bean changes the environment. Uh, the lighthouse changes the environment. It creates a safe passageway. It communicates without verbally communicating where to go. And that's something that I think we're called to do as educators. Yeah. And that, for me, with the podcast here, this is really the most exciting part about it, is getting those other individuals on that have different experiences that can share that light with yeah. others. And, um, I, and I know you feel the same way. We've both been very fortunate to um, have contact with people that inspire us. That right. um, if we weren't in a position that we were in right now, we would never have met those people otherwise. Um, and what do we do? The, the, the greatest form of flattery is to try to copy or to take on some of those attributes, some of those character traits. Um, and for me, that's one thing that, that I know that I would like to learn as well and to be able to share with others. Jim, as we close out here, uh, just some, just, uh, another kind of, uh, snapshot. We've talked a lot about environment. We've talked a lot about, um, how our culture kind of, we, how, how we go out and serve and give, uh, one last little uh, plug for the resilient option. Uh, I hate saying the word program, but but the resilient option philosophy and how it can make how it can benefit us to go out and learn, serve, and give. So, um, Dr. Sood's got a couple different programs. There is one that's a uh, youth program. It's a curriculum for uh, younger elementary up through middle school, and the resilient option program is an online program. I'll include the link for that and how to get to that right now um, with the YouTube video. Uh, we'll include that with the, uh, the other podcast information as well. Um, it is a great, great program. The intent is to help individuals be happier, healthier, and more productive. Uh, and that's really what life is all about. It's, it's not about complaining. Um, it's not about doom and gloom. It really is about serving others and um, trying to find our place as a human. Um, and there's a lot of human beings on this earth. Mm-hmm. And it's the, the intent is to help all of us figure out how to relate better with each other. It's a great, great program. Um, not only the in-person program, but the online program as well. So we'll include the link for that. Awesome. Any final words here, Jim? No, it's a, uh, it's been a crazy week. It has been. With, with has summer been. starting now, kind yeah. of excited to have a little bit of downtime. A little yeah, bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, no, great to visit with you again today. 
absolutely. As we come to a close, we would invite all of our listeners to continue to be that lighthouse for someone else, be that coffee bean, always be the person that you don't need to give, give anything other than who you are, but continue to grow into who you are. Um, I always tell, uh, I, I say a lot, um, learn, serve, give, and grow. And that's the biggest thing that you can do to make our world better is just constantly be learning, constantly giving of yourself. You don't need to give of your resources. You give of yourself. Um, you want to be constantly serving. You want to be constantly growing. And if you can, if you can ground yourself in those areas and use all of those resources, all of those programs as something that can assist you in developing your philosophy on who you are as a person and be that lighthouse for others, you can be a true lighthouse experience. So Jim, it's been a phenomenal uh, episode again. Always a pleasure to be with you. Awesome. Thank you, Steve. Have a great week, everyone.